If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to look with me in the book of Galatians this morning. We're going to look at the first chapter of this book, and I'm going to read to you verses 6 through 10. And before I do that, just very quickly, I want to let you know that I got the results back from my test uh, yesterday afternoon, just a little bit before 3 o'clock. was not expecting that at all, and wasn't expecting to get anything on the weekend. But anyway, it came in, and it came back negative, and so that's very... Very, um, very relieved and uh, very thankful. So thank you for your prayers. Uh, I have the rest of my surveillance uh, the first, uh, the second week of October. So if you want to pray about that, I would certainly appreciate that. I have a couple weeks until I need to go. Um, and uh, based upon the significance of this test that I got yesterday, um, I'm not really anticipating anything. Um, but you never know, right? That's why you have to have everything done. And so I'm very, very thankful and very glad. Um, again, I'll say it again. It is such a relief. Um, so I'm just profoundly thankful. Um, all right. <clears throat> Next. This morning, we're continuing our study of the four-part story of Scripture, and as we come to Galatians this morning, I want to show you one particular thing from this passage, one particular idea, and that's this. The four-part story is news. It is not advice. The four-part story is news. It is not advice. Now, just so you know, I, I think I read that somewhere, the difference between news and advice, so that isn't original to me, but I've been thinking about that for a while, and it's like one of those ideas that kind of crawls up in your head and starts having babies and children, you know? So, but that's what I want to show you from Galatians 1, and I hope that you will think about it with me as we look at this text together. So listen to this. This is God's Word. Uh, you can bank your entire life on this. Listen to this. Paul writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we bow before you with thankful hearts. We do thank you together, Lord, that, uh, that these test results came back negative. We know your hand is upon all these things. And Lord, if it were to come back positive, your hand will be with us then too. So we ask that in all these things, Lord, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in this morning, relief or anxiety, uh, rejoicing, thankfulness, or concern about the week ahead, Lord, that you would take your word and cause it to bring forth life in us. That we would really understand what it means to let go of the control that we often think we have. And that we would instead cling to you, who actually is in control. And would you help us to live by faith, to obey, to follow, to trust, 
to cling to the good news of what you have done, Jesus. Holy Spirit, again, we ask that you would breathe new life into us, a fresh sense of your power, a fresh sense of what is most beautiful, what is most true, what is truly good, thoroughly good. Convince us of those things. We pray all this for your glory and for our good. Amen. Again, this morning, we're thinking about this idea together. The four-part story is news. It is not advice. And as I try to show you that from this text this morning, we're going to take three stops on our journey. And the first stop on our journey is this. I want us to put on this passage of Scripture. I want us to try to put this passage on. I know you may think, what in the world are you talking about? I want us to try to wear this passage. I want us to think about what he's saying and try to put it on our lives so that we see our lives enveloped in what Paul is saying. So let's try to put this passage on. You with me? You might have noticed from what we read together that the tone of this passage is fairly serious, isn't it? Anytime you hear the word accursed twice, you might think, huh, something is going on here. Paul is serious, and you probably get that sense. Now, how does someone have a serious conversation with you? How does that happen? You know, we live in a culture that wants to define love as unqualified affirmation. And whether you agree with that definition or not, it is the ethos, and it is, it is the, the air that we breathe, that that's the sense of what love actually is, unqualified affirmation. And in that kind of culture, let me tell you, it's really hard to have a serious conversation, isn't it? Even if you don't believe in that definition, which I would encourage you not to believe in that definition of love, it's still really hard to have a serious conversation. Maybe you've noticed this. <clears throat> Maybe you've noticed that um, a lot of us struggle with wanting to have serious conversations about things that don't really matter. Maybe you've noticed about yourself that you have a lot of emotional investment in things that aren't that important. Maybe you've noticed at times that just how disordered our loves are. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? Wow, I, I, uh, at the top of my list of what I love is my job or whatever it may be. And you just realize my loves are all out of whack. The things that I really should love are really down here somewhat. I'm not really that committed to what's actually important, but I really seem to be committed to something that isn't actually all that important. But for whatever reason in my life, if I'm honest, Kind of think about loving things that really don't matter sometimes. You ever find yourself there? If you want to press that even further, as we grow and mature as human beings, you realize that there are an awful lot of things in life that are gray, aren't there? Like there's so much wisdom that we need to figure out what to do day in and day out. There are not a lot of things that are just straight right or wrong, binary. There are a lot of things that require an enormous amount of wisdom, but there are some things that are clearly binary, aren't there? 
There are clearly, this is right, this is wrong. And if we even miss it on that, then at times our foundation of how we're living our life day to day can be all messed up even more. And Paul is trying to have a serious conversation with people that he really cares about. Which leads me to think about this question with you. Not only how can someone have a serious conversation with you, in particular about spiritual things, how can someone have a serious spiritual conversation with you, with me? I want you to think about this question. Do you have anybody in your life that actually cares about you? And and do you want someone to really care about you? By the way, I'm not talking about the type of care that's like, man, I'm down and out, I'm so busy, I've got this procedure, or this happened in my family, and, and I need a meal or something. That's great. I'm sure that most of you are like, of course I want somebody to care for me in that way. Talking about the kind of care in which there is someone in your life that would tell you what you need that you can't see, that you can't hear, Do you have someone in your life that actually cares about you enough that relationally and in in the best way possible is able to tell you what you need to hear that maybe you haven't been able to hear or what you need to know, what, what you previously didn't know? That's the kind of care I'm talking about. Do you have anyone in your life that cares for you in that way? Do you want that in your life? Do you want someone to care for you, to tell you what you need to hear that maybe you can't hear? Something you need to see in your life that maybe you don't see. You see, the Apostle Paul writes these words and he is not trying to nail us to the wall, okay? He's not trying to nail any of us to the wall. As a matter of fact, He is not even concerned about our approval. Did you notice verse 10? I'm not writing this to get your approval. Now, real quick sidebar, when was the last time you had a full day where you did things not caring about people's approval? When when has that happened in your life? When has that happened in mine? And the Apostle Paul, again, he's not trying to nail us to the wall. He doesn't really care in the best way, he doesn't, he's, not, he's not trying to get our approval. How about that? He's not looking for us to be like, yes. He's not, he's not even looking for a fight. He's not interested in that at all. He's not, he is not expressing this, this um, personal uh, ferocity. It's not that he's selfishly ferocious as he addresses the church in Galatia and addresses us. He's not selfish at all in what he's saying. He's just this. He's passionately concerned. Do you have someone in your life who is passionately concerned to have a serious spiritual conversation with you who's willing to care for you. That's what Paul's doing for us. Can you put that on? Can you wear that? Can you think about your life in relationship to someone that wants to have that kind of conversation with you, with us? Because that's what's happening. Paul is tapping into confusion. 
My hunch is if you're paying attention and you've thought about your life and thought about whether you have some loves that are disordered or if you've um, thought about your life and realized, man, maybe, maybe I do care about some things that aren't that important or maybe I'm too emotionally invested in this over here when it really shouldn't be that way. If you have that going on in your life, that's what Paul's tapping into. He's tapping into confusion, the confusion that we have. In particular, the confusion in the church of Galatia in which, by the way, there's a spectrum of this, right? There were people that were confused. There, there, were, there were some that could tell, well, I, I, I've heard Paul teach the truth, and then I've heard some other people and what other people say doesn't match up with what Paul says, and therefore they're confused. That's one group of people who can be confused. And that kind of confusion usually happens like this. It did with the church in Galatia. The people that were teaching something different than what Paul was saying, this is how they approached it. Hey, you all like Paul's teaching, right? And the church would be like, yeah, it was amazing. Like God really blessed that teaching in our lives. And these teachers would say, that's right. We need to agree with what Paul says. And we need something more. But the people that heard that message were like, well, these new teachers, they, they like what Paul was saying, but they're just telling us that we need something more. And, but what they're saying seems to be different from what Paul was saying, and so I'm confused. You follow that? So there's one group of people, Paul's tapping into confusion, who know the confusion, can sense it, and they're like, mm, I don't know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm confused, I don't know what to do. There were, there's another group of people that were instigating the confusion and perpetuating it. There were those who were teaching something different and they were present when Paul was writing so you can understand how this serious conversation and someone caring for them would hit them differently, that group of people differently than the first group that understood, oh yeah, Paul's saying something, these people are saying Paul plus something else, I need some clarification there. And then there's a third group of people and they're the ones that just have no discernment and can't really tell that there's any difference. And Paul's trying to make them aware. Oh, there's something to think about here. You don't fall into this trap. And if you're not discerning, let's, by God's grace, raise that level of discernment so that you understand what is true and what is not. So that means that as you hear all this this morning, you might have something to connect with in those ways as well. You might be a little confused. You might have grown up in places where you hear one message and go somewhere else and hear another and think, I'm not sure what, I'm confused with that. Or maybe you used to perpetuate something that wasn't true. Or maybe you don't have any discernment. And if you take that as an absolute slam, you've heard it wrong. Paul's writing this because he cares, passionately cares. He's passionately concerned about us. And he knows that we need to understand more. So that's us trying to, at stop one on our journey, trying to put this passage on and wear it.
Here's stop two. Here's, let's think about what's at stake. What Paul tells us is at stake with this whole conversation that he's having. What's at stake here? Well, more broadly speaking, if you were to read the whole book, the first thing that you would find that's at stake is this, bondage. People living in bondage. You living in bondage. Dave living in bondage. Our church, Christ Pres, existing in bondage. If you read this whole book, Paul is really concerned about us living into freedom. The problem is, oftentimes our sin is so twisted in self-deception that we think bondage is good. Sometimes we even want people to put us in bondage. Tell me everything that I need to do. I don't want any gray areas at all. I want you to answer every question and tell me everything that I need to do. And friends, Paul would say, that's bondage. You need to stand fast in the liberty for which Christ made you free. That's what he says in chapter five, verse one. So what's at stake is us living our lives in some type of bondage. Because what Jesus has done gives us freedom. What truth does is make us free. How about that? The second, the second thing we find in the text about what's at stake is look in verse six. Deserting the God of grace. Do you notice that? I can read it. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. See that? What's at stake is deserting God, is deserting the God of grace, is turning our back on a gracious God. That's what's at stake. And when Paul says, I'm astonished, he's saying, uh, I am painfully surprised. Don't get the sense that Paul's like knocked off his rocker and then can't believe that people are sinners. Because he knows. He knows the church is full of sinners. He knows that he's the chief sinner. It's not shocking to him. But when he sees what's happening in people's lives, it's it's painful for him, surprisingly painful. This is my analogy for that because of things that, you know, I have to go through every few, uh, every few months. Th this is when I know I'm going to the doctor's office and I know that he's got to stick me with a needle. I know it's coming. Oh, I'm, I'm anticipating this happening. And then all of a sudden, bam, there it goes in my arm. Sometimes it hurts more than others, but guess what? It's always shockingly painful, even though I know it's going to happen. That's what Paul's talking about. I'm astonished that you would consider deserting the God of grace, turning your back on God. You can see how these are compounding because if you're living in bondage and you want to live in bondage, it means that there's a gracious God that you're looking at, thinking about, and you're wanting to go the other direction, away from him. In other words, to not understand what's going on with this 
confusion and not get to the bottom of it means that we're in danger of deserting God who is gracious. And third, here's what else is at stake. Remember those two terms I mentioned from the beginning? That, well, there's one term that's mentioned twice, accursed. Did you notice that? Listen to it. At the end of verse eight, let him be accursed. And, his, and he says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So here's what's at stake, being cursed. Here's what the word in picture form means. It's anathema, if you've heard that before. It is, it's when something is set apart and then lifted up and put in the presence of God himself as if to say, God is going to deal with you without anything else and that judgment is coming. For something to be accursed, I've only said this maybe once or twice in 10 years, so get ready. It's a very small category, but it exists in the Bible. Paul's saying that this is to be God damned. Doesn't that just take seriousness to a whole new level? That's what's at stake. That's what's at stake in what Paul's talking about. Well, that leads us to our third stop on our journey. So the first one is trying to put this passage on. The second is, um, the second is what's at stake. And the third is one gospel. Look at the data that Paul gives us. Look at the data. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Verse seven, not that there is another one. So some are trying to entice you with another gospel that isn't another one. Matter of fact, if anybody preaches to you a gospel that's contrary to this, as we just looked at, let them be accursed. So it's, it's not that there actually is another gospel. Paul is saying there's not only one. There's only one. And Paul is even serious about this, isn't he? Look at what he says. Look in verse eight. If we or an angel from heaven were to deliver a message from you that you haven't received from us, let them be accursed. Got that? Paul is including himself and his team. And he's saying, when I first came to you, you received the message of the gospel. If I start telling you a different message, if I veer away from that message, let me be goddamned. You think Paul's serious about this? He even includes himself. He knows that he's susceptible of getting off track. And he certainly understands that oftentimes people have a tendency to inappropriately elevate teachers of the word of God. As if to say, well, we like him. Uh, he sounds good. Whatever he says is right. He's holier than we are. So we're just gonna go with what our 
preacher teacher says. And Paul's saying, oh, no. If I, the apostle Paul, start telling you something that's different from the original message that I delivered, let me be accursed. How about that? He's telling his congregation, he's telling the churches, look, you need to understand whether or not you hear the gospel and you know the gospel. And there needs to be no confusion in our minds and in our hearts regarding what that gospel is. No, no confusion. And then even as an angel, how about that? What if an angel were to show up? Remember the book of Hebrews? It's in the New Testament. I think it's around chapter 13 that has this interesting verse in there about how angels can appear and you not even really be aware of it. Like you don't realize that you're talking with someone who's actually an angel. That can happen. God says it anyway. And, and Paul says, if an angel were to show up, number one, in what he's talking about, we would probably recognize it. You know? If there's an angel that shows up here, and you can tell that he's, uh, that, that, how about, you can tell that they are um, more majestic than we are. And this angel were to show up at our church, and this angel were to say, you know what? I have a message from the throne. That's where I exist, around the throne. And I'm here because today I'm gonna to be your pastor. And this message is coming straight from God. And here's the message. Paul says, if that message from an angel does not line up with what you originally heard from me, kick him out and say, let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. <laughs> out. By the way, that's a lesser sentence than accursed, right? Paul's like, it doesn't matter if an angel shows up. It doesn't matter if you have some incredible experience with what you think is a supernatural being. If that experience communicates to you something different than Paul's original message, get rid of it. Be done with it. Want nothing to do with it. Again, even if it's an angel. Well, that leads us to this. How, how people confuse the message. How people confuse the message. This is where we start getting closer and closer to the bullseye of the passage. Look at verse seven. How are we gonna know? If Paul's having a serious conversation with us and he's really caring about us, and it's not this selfishness, he's just furious because of his own self-righteousness, if it's not that, if he really has passionate concern for us, if he even puts himself out there and says, look, if I start telling you something different, kick me out. If he starts talking about being cursed and anathematized, how, we, we better know how in the world can people confuse the message? Look at verse seven. He starts out by saying this, 
Not that there is another one in verse seven, but there are some who trouble you. You notice that? There'll be some that try to give you a message, but all it does, all the message does is create fear in your heart. That's what it's actually talking about. That they trouble you. They start interjecting something that isn't true. And it may sound like, oh yeah, Apostle Paul, he's great. Listen to what he says. We like what he teaches. And you need to get this other teaching from us. And when you hear those messages and you realize they're not the same, that causes trouble and confusion going on inside. You get it? You start thinking about, oh no, what if this is right? And not just that, look at the next word, distorting. That word really communicates this, backwards. That someone starts commuting the message of the gospel, but here's how the message is wrong. Here's how the message is, this is why the message is confusing. Because it's backwards. So let's slow down and try to understand how the message can be communicated backwards. How the message can be reversed so that we can make sure by God's grace that we're clinging to the message of Jesus. Doesn't that sound like an important thing to do? Because what's at stake here? Bondage, turning our back on God, maybe even being accursed. So let's slow down and let's think about our daily lives. Remember there are some things that are binary. There are some things that are clearly, this is right, that's wrong. And what we're about to talk about is one of them. And it's a really big deal. So in our day-to-day lives, what if in our daily lives, we have a tendency to live and to think that our acceptance with God is based upon our effort? It's based upon how we feel? Or our relationship with God, our acceptance with God, or being acceptable to God is based upon our sincerity. You ever had those things go on in your mind and your heart? Well, I'm not really sure if this is right or not, but I mean, God knows my motives. Well, I'm trying really. Are you a believer? Well, I'm trying. What? If you look at your own life and think that your relationship with God, your acceptance with God is based upon your effort or how you feel like you're emotionally doing or how sincere you are. You know what oftentimes that leads to? It leads to this. When things are going really good in my life, I feel like God accepts me and is happy with me. As long as I'm trying really hard and being sincere, feeling it, things are going good, God, God, God's accepted me and, and I'm, I'm acceptable to him. But then when things don't go so well, you start thinking, well, God must be displeased with me. I must be doing something wrong. I need to try harder here. I need to really feel it more there. I need to put forth more effort. 
because something must not be right. God must not be pleased with me. I must not be acceptable to him because, because my life isn't going well. I've hit a roadblock. Something unexpected happened circumstantially that isn't good and I don't want it. And that must mean that I'm doing something wrong and that God isn't pleased with me. You see, it leads to this mentality that I'm always stuck in this rut. Have I surrendered enough? Am I feeling it enough? Am I trying hard enough? Am I sincere enough? And when that happens, it leaves us in this state of constant fear and panic, shame, guilt, instinctively critical toward others because how else am I gonna know if my circumstances are that bad while I look at someone else? As long as I can find someone whose circumstances are worse than mine, then, well, maybe it's not as bad as it could be. Does that sound familiar? Maybe when things are going great, maybe when your life is going great and you have <clears throat> the resources that you need and the time that you have and, and you enjoy all these things, you start to think, well, maybe I should feel guilty about this. That ever creep in? You see, it goes both ways, right? You see... If you allow me to be theological and introduce theological terms into your, into your mind and into your life, if that's the way you're living, what has happened is you're basing your, what the Bible calls justification, that is your standing before God, that is your position before God. If you're feeling like that, that we just went through, it means that you're basing your justification on your sanctification, which is your life of faith with God. It means that you're basing your position before God on how you live. It means that your relationship with God at your core is actually about you, not Jesus. You see how they got reversed? And that is a very dangerous place to be. And that is not the message of the gospel. That's not the message of the Bible. That's not the message of Jesus. But somehow, so many of us live our lives as if that, that's me. I confuse my justification all the time and think that my position before God is based upon my life of faith with God. And Paul's saying that is a distortion. That's the reversal of the truth. That's what creates all kinds of fear inside and frustration and not knowing what to do and always being paranoid, can't make decisions, hypercritical, hyper sense of shame and guilt. You see, it reduces the gospel that mentality reduces the gospel to advice. It reduces the message of the Bible to advice, not news. In other words, 
If all that we've ever gleaned from our Bible studies or all we've ever gleaned from the churches that we have attended in our lives is that at the end of the day, the solution to every message we've ever heard and the point of every passage and the point of every book and the point of every Bible study is just to get principles to go and do better, we have just gotten advice. Advice is, this is what you're supposed to do, go do it. News is, it's been done. News is, it is finished. And to reverse those things is an absolute disaster spiritually, emotionally, physically, trajectory of your life. It is a disaster, isn't it? It's a disaster. And Paul is telling us, you can't get this wrong because this This core truth is what makes Christianity different from everything else. This is what makes Christianity different from everything else. Beloved, the Bible is not a book written to tell you how to get to God. The Bible is a book written that tells you how God has come to you. That is radical. That is amazing stuff. The message of the gospel is not, here's advice and principles and and Jesus is just an example. Follow him, whatever form it takes. The message of the gospel is not, here's the advice, now go do it this week. The message of the gospel is that it's been done. And that your relationship with God, your position before God is not based on how you feel because that's gonna go up and down. It's not based on your effort because our effort at times is white hot and at other times, nothing. In sincerity, oh, how many times have you done the right thing in an insincere way? We have no hope if this entire message is about us and it's based on us. And Paul is saying because he cares and he has concern, he's passionately concerned to say, maybe you're not seeing this. Maybe you're not getting it. Maybe you haven't heard it before. Here it is. The gospel is news. It's the news of what Christ has done. And to miss that, to reverse that, to smuggle in my works into that, misses everything. Misses everything. And that's what brings us to the table. 